Hi, it's Tommy McDonald, and you're listening to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast, baby. Hi, this is Cowboy Keith, and you're listening to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. Today, my guest is Tommy McDonald, celebrated soul singer and performer. Tommy, it's nice to have you here. Cowboy, how are you? I'm doing great. And uh, I'll let everybody know we are sitting in a hotel room in London, England, where you just did three sold-out nights fronting the original Blues Brothers band. Was that fun? That was hysterical. That was unbelievable fun. Uh, We never get to do the small concerts, and it was great to be that close to the people. And uh, this club was Ronnie Scott's, a celebrated jazz saxophone player, probably one of the most known internationally from London, wouldn't you say? Uh, Yes. Yes, one of the great sax players from uh, London, Ronnie Scott. Lost all his teeth. Did he? And lost his will to play, and then they say he just faded away at that point. Jesus. Isn't that terrible? That is terrible. Uh, Tommy, i like to start at the beginning. Yes. Where were you born? I was born at an early age. Uh, I just wanted to state that. And I was born in the Bronx, New York. Bronx, New York. Now, yes. were, you, were, were you raised up in the Bronx? I was raised up in the Bronx, yes, I was. Did you go to high school in the Bronx? No. As a matter of fact, when it came time for high school, all my friends were going to Bronx schools. I got accepted to a couple of Bronx schools, but there was a great school in Manhattan called Power Memorial, which was very well known for uh, Lou Alcindor went to Power Memorial. They had an amazing basketball team, but they also had an amazing band with the director from Italy. So I, got, I went there when I auditioned, and I got accepted on a music uh, scholarship to... Power Memorial, and my mother was very excited because I was the only one to go to Power from now, my crowd. Now, uh, what instrument did you play in high school? I was a drummer. I've been a drummer since I was 10 years old, played drums. Now, did you pick up the uh, harmonica while you were still in high school, or did that come later? That came later. That came about, um, I would say, I don't know, 1988, when I started singing, really. Uh, then I started with the harmonica, putzing around. Okay, so you graduated from, is it Power? Power, yeah. Power High School, and that's in Manhattan. Yes. And did you, uh, did you continue your education after high school in music? Um, I went to two semesters of college, but um, I majored in lunch. <laughs> I, I used to go into, now this is something, don't do this. I used to go into college and go to the lunchroom and sleep till about 12. Then I went home and my mother said, how was your day? It was great. You know, so college wasn't for me. I was obsessed with music. I, I had to be a musician. So, so you slept your way through college. Yes, I did. I got a uh, S S or something. <laughs> sleep masters. S M. <laughs> masters in sleep. Thank you. From the university. Okay. Asked. So you slept through college. Yes. You went to Power High School. Big deal. Yes. On a music scholarship, playing percussion. Yeah. Yes. Playing percussion. All right. Now, uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have six others. I have four sisters and two brothers. I'm uh, the oldest of seven. You didn't happen to be Irish Catholic, did you? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yes. What? Yeah. That's so unusual I know. for an it's Irish crazy. Catholic family. It's unbelievable. <laughs> now, did any of your siblings play music? Uh, no. Nobody. No, just you. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's funny. My brother Larry could sing great. My brother Jimmy sang. My sister... Lizzie sang. Uh, people sang, but they never wanted to pursue it. They were not. Nobody was obsessed like me. You could have been the Osmonds from the Bronx. I could have been. <laughs> you're a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. All right. So now you're. Uh, you've uh, 
Slept your way right out of college. <laughs> right out. What, what was your first uh, band that you were in? The first band I was in, I think was called... I think was called The Sound Waves. And it was just a local band. Um, as soon as I started playing drums at 10, um, my mother came from a showbiz family. So she was very, she was a great pushy kind of stage mom. Um, so she used to go around and scour the neighborhood for bands that were looking for drummers. She said, oh, there's a little band forming called The Sound Waves. And so I played with The Sound Waves, just a bunch of local guys. I can't even remember the songs we played, but it was a local band. And then, like six months later, she'd say, all right, we had enough of this band. There's another band called the Esquires, and they're looking for a drummer. So we're going to audition for them. Okay, Mom. So we went and auditioned for the Esquires. But I think the Sound Waves would be the first the first band that I remember. Uh, what, what was the moment? Was it in high school? Was it in Power High School that you said, I got to do music? No, it was at the age of nine years old. Wow. My uh, my father's friend, who we used to call Uncle, um, was a drummer, professional drummer, and he used to do club dates and stuff. And he went on vacation one time, and he had a red sparkle—I'm sorry, blue sparkle—Slingerland set. And he asked my father, "Can I leave it in your basement while I go on vacation?" Blah blah blah. So he left it in the basement, and I used to go down every day and unzip the the uh, the case it was a the uh, cloth case unzip the case and just look at the sparkles and I used to just I was mesmerized by the blue sparkle I was like wow this is unbelievable and I did it every day then I'd zip it up and I'd go up to have my and I come down the next day and I'd look it was crazy I was obsessed so um, when I finally hit about ten years old he knew how obsessed I was with drums I used to actually go with him on gigs and carry his drums Wow! as a little kid with a little cross tie, like at the age of nine, I guess, 10. And he said, look, you're serious. Uh, I'm going to start teaching you how to play. So he took me downstairs and we had a chair and he had some drumsticks. And he says, okay, here's how you hold the drumsticks. Uh, so he gave me the drumsticks and he said, this, he's just giving me some patterns how to do it. But he said, you're left-handed, so you need to hold the drumsticks the other way. It was a traditional grip for all you drummers out there. So I held it the other way, but it didn't feel right. So he said, hold it the right right hand way and you'll have a better, you'll have a stronger left hand. So so that was it. He gave me that. And then my mother said, look, you got to take formal lessons. So we started going to a neighborhood guy, Lou Vidala. Lou Vidala. He eventually moved to Florida. He even, uh, I don't know whatever happened to him, but that was my first drum teacher at the age of 10. And that was the moment you said, I got to do this. Yeah, That's I was great. obsessed. Oh, All right, well, what did you what did your father do? My father was a carpenter since oh. he was 15 and now he's 85 and he's still doing carpentry. Wow. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Still lifting sheetrock. What was his musical taste? Um, my father's musical taste was more he wasn't into Irish music even though he was Irish. He didn't like the diddly diddly diddly. He was into Frank Sinatra um, and that kind of stuff. Frank Sinatra. So crooners, big bands. Yeah, crooner, big band. How about your mother? What was her what was her bag? Show tunes. Show tunes. My mother was my mother danced with the Rockettes back mm. in the day. Wow, I see. I didn't know that one. Yes, my mother danced with the Rockettes. Her side of the family, my aunts and uh, her cousins. So they were my aunts. Um, 
were all rockets, lifelong rockets, 25 years, you know. That must have been the tall side of the family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but she, my mother was an amazing dancer, and uh, she danced with the rockets, but eventually got pregnant with me, so I kind of ruined her career. So, <laughs> you, you bastard. I know, I know. <laughs> slapped me. Oh, he slapped me. <laughs> all right, so now we're to the point where you're, you, uh, you're out of college. Yes. You're... You're looking for gigs. What was your first big break? I think we played a party in the neighborhood that my mother got. Uh, I didn't cut it. You know, I didn't cut her in on the the uh, the vig. Um, I think it was for fifteen forty five dollars. It was a three piece band. At that point, it was um, clarinet, um, clarinet guitar and drums that was the band eat your heart out jack white yeah yeah and we each got 15 dollars, and i was like oh my god 15 dollars uh i just thought that was great being paid but that was the first band the name of that band was oh gosh i can't remember i can't remember but let's call that your first opportunity what was your first big break where you're like i have made it now like maybe you're in your 20s when, when was the career the first big career break the big career break was in 1988 uh i started doing jingles well oh, anyway subsequently ended up singing a demo uh, i was a drummer up until about 19 and I could always sing. I could always sing back up in bands and, and stuff like that. But a friend of mine was a producer and said, Tommy, I have this project. There's no money involved. So crazy. What a business. And um, he says, but it needs a singer. It's a songwriter. So would you think of singing it? It was a ballad called um, Now That We Have The Chance. And it was a duet with a girl. So I said, I, I know a girl that sings. So I'll get her involved. Her name was Barbara Kafira. Great, great singer. And uh, so we sang it. It came out amazing, this ballad. And he, and everyone was like, my God, you should be a singer. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be a singer. Won't have to carry drums. So so that's was my start of the singing. And then in 1988, a year later, um, I started doing jingles in New York. Someone heard that I sang, and I was like the new kid on the block. I did all these major uh, commercials for radio and TV. And so then I was kind of established as a singer, and I got wind from a friend that there was a band called the Nuff Brothers, and it was headed by it was headed by Lou Marini, um, and Alan Rubin was in was the trumpet player, and it was the all the quintessential guys from New York, session guys. It was like, I called it the, the Jingle Mafia. And, and it was a four-piece horn section, and they did all soul music. And it was unbelievable. And they, what he just told me, he says, I just auditioned for the band, and um, I think I got the gig. And I said to myself, Jesus, I would love to audition for a band with horns. So... You know, I just loved that kind of music, and I was never in that kind of a band. So the next day, I went to see my friend, Roe Domino, who worked at Tommy LaPuma, Warner Brothers. She was Tommy LaPuma's secretary. 
So I was in there, I was doing a jingle uh, some other place in town, went in to see LaRoe, and I was telling her the story. I said, bro, there was this band in Manhattan, they play old soul music, I would have loved to audition for them. She said, who's in the band? She, I said, Lou Marini. She said, Lou Marini, I just hired him. Let me call him. I said, no, bro, it's all done with. They picked guys, they auditioned 15 of the best singers in Manhattan, and they picked that, narrowed it down to two. So, um, so Ro said, screw that, I'm calling. She, she calls Lou on the phone. Hello, Lou Marini? Yes, this is Rosemary from uh, Tommy LaPuma's office. Uh-huh. Do you have a band called Enough Brothers? Uh-huh. Oh, you did? You, did you just have auditions? Uh-huh. Mm, oh, because my friend Tommy would be amazing for your band. And I was mortified on the other side of the counter, just dying because I'm not a pushy person. But I said, uh-huh. Okay. Oh, all right, good. So she hung up and she said, uh... Yeah, they just had auditions, but if anything changes, he'll call you. Next day, I get a call. Tom Lomarini, can you come down tomorrow for an audition? Uh, yeah. Uh, can you sing all these songs in the keys there that we have them in? Uh, sure I can. And I hang up the phone, and it was just the most unbelievable thing. So I shedded the songs. Am I talking a lot? So I shedded the songs. <laughs> How long is this podcast? We need more tape. Uh, I shedded the songs, and I went down for the audition, and the rest is history. But that was that was the story. It was hyster- hysterical. So that's how you got involved with Lou Marini and Alan Rubin, who are members of the original Blues Brothers band. Yes. And that led to you singing with the Blues Brothers band, I assume. Yes, yes. That's a whole other story, but we need more tape. <laughs> and, uh, well, go ahead and tell it. What's... Uh... How did you wind up going from the Nuff Brothers, where you auditioned and became a member of their fab- fabulous show band in New York, and then how did it parlay into the original Blues Brothers band? The uh, So that was 1988. In 89, the Blues Brothers band got back together and started touring in Europe. And it was fronted by Sam Moore from Sam and Dave and Eddie Floyd. And they did a couple of years, and um, eventually... Um, you know, that was a band I always wanted to sing with. And Lou said, no, it's really, it's a set thing, and um, there's not an opportunity right now. Well, in 1995, Lou called me and said, can you go to Japan for a month? I said, yes, I can. Can you sing these songs in the keys? Yes, I can. And um, it's, which is important because they have a lot of songs and charts, and it would take a lot to rechart everything so i said to lou uh he says it's for the blues brothers band we're going to japan for a month i said yes i'm in so i rearranged my schedule got rid of everything went to went there in january of had to be uh 1995 um um went to japan for a month and I said, okay, so what's the rehearsal situation? Ah, there's no rehearsal. Don't worry, you're going to kill it. I said, I'm going to kill it. Well, what are the songs? Ah, don't worry, we'll figure the songs out. So I was a frantic mess. So I said, there's got to be a tape. There's got to be something. So Alan Rubin said, I have a tape up in Woodstock. You could, you know, I could transfer it from that to a cassette. I'll, I'll drive to Woodstock. So I drove to Woodstock, hung out for a couple of hours. Alan transferred one of the shows from Japan. He says, we'll probably do the same songs. So um, took the tape, learned the tape note for note, 
learned exactly the way. And I'm sorry, after Sam Moore left, they had a, a great singer, Larry Thurston, fronted the band. He was from St. Louis. So, <clears throat> so I learned it exactly, exactly every note that Larry did. Every song, they did a version of um, uh, a very ex uh, customized version of The Thrill Is Gone with uh, Matt Guitar Murphy. And at the end, there was a duel between the vocalist and the guitarist. So I learned it exactly the way Larry did it. And got to Japan and sound check, you know, very relaxed, vague. People said, so what do you want to run? I said, everything, you know. I wanted to do it one time. Oh, God. All right, so they ran the whole show, and they got the thrill is gone. And Matt said, we're not going to do that song. He doesn't know that. And Lou said, uh, Matt, he does. He knows that song. And Matt Tom Murphy turned to me and said, you know that song? I said, yeah, I kind of know that song. So under protest, we ran it, and I sang it exactly the way Larry <laughs> and afterward Matt turned to Lou and said, mm, he does know this song. So, because I nailed it, I nailed every song at the rehearsal. So, uh, and then that was the story. That's the break I got with the Blues Brothers band. And here we are 20 years later. 20 and you're years still later. Doing it. Unbelievable. That's Greatest okay. band in the world. And I get to sing with them. Amazing. All right, so uh, tell me about your biggest influences musically. My biggest influences, I would say, were... Um, I love Michael McDonald. I really love Michael McDonald. And I loved James Ingram, was another big singer at that time. Just a great... The, the sound of their voice was just tremendous. And I was influenced by Frank Sinatra, who was a guy, I mean, I mean, there's nobody to sing like that. And he sang the songs exactly the way they were supposed to be. There wasn't all kinds of riffing going on, but uh, I mean, Frank Sinatra in his whole life never did a riff except Scooby-Dooby-Doo, Dooby-Dooby-Dooby-Dooby, that was it. But uh, those were my influences. I would say Michael McDonald, James Ingram, and Frank Sinatra. Tell me about your experience with Englehood Records. Well, let me tell you a little something about Englehood Records. A guy came to me, uh, his name was Cowboy, and he said to me after hearing me sing, why have you never done your own record? I said, eh, I never had the right songs and da-da-da and uh, time. And, uh, he says, you come to Nashville, I'll cut a record on you. So I went to Nashville, he cut this amazing record on me, picked the songs, got the arrangements, got the musicians, and and put me in a direction that I would have never thought of. Um, but that's always been my issue throughout my singing careers. I just never had, you know, you do so many types of music, you never really have a, some people never have a focused direction, which was me. But Cowboy did this amazing thing. When he sent me these songs on Christmas Eve, I opened that, that was the biggest present I ever could have got in my life. And here we are, sitting here with this amazing record. Mr. Cowboy, thank you very much. I am shaking his hands right now on, if you can't hear it. Can you hear that? <laughs> All right, what's on your record player right now? Uh, my record player right now is the Tommy, Mac, Tommy McDonald and the Mac 5, because I can't believe 
I just keep looking at the CD saying they spelled my name right, which is unbelievable. Well, that's what Laura said, too. <laughs> they spelled my name right. That's the same thing Laura said. I said, what do you listen to? She goes, myself. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe it. It's just a shock. Well, we're, we're, uh, we're glad to have you on the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. Uh, if you go to NashvilleSoulMusic.com, you can find Tommy's record, Tommy McDonald and the Mac 5 is available for sale on there, or you can purchase it on Amazon, iTunes, or your favorite digital music outlet. Nice to have you here, Tommy. Cowboy, I love you. Thanks for everything. We love you, too. Appreciate it. So, Tommy, is there anybody that you want to say hi to today on the podcast? Thank you, Cowboy. I want to say hello to my beautiful wife, Dawn who supports me all along the way, and my beautiful daughter, Julia, and my great son, Matthew. You've been listening to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. My name's Cowboy Keith. Please check back and subscribe on iTunes, and thanks for listening. Hey, this is Tommy McDonald. I'm still here, and you've been listening to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. I got it right. (laughs) 